If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off the Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring him down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up in the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. Here we go. Let's get this thing running. My name is Jeffrey Gorman. This is the Colts official podcast brought to you by our friends at WinBet. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, is here. J.J. Stankovitz from Colts.com is here. Lara Overton as well. we got to talk about a couple of things. It's riding a streak right now with two wins in a row. We're going to talk about the huge 34-27 win over the Jaguars and the showdown coming up this Sunday down in Nashville against the Titans. we got first place on the AFC South on the line. Atta Matt boy. Taylor. Boy. Matt Taylor, I'm going to start with you right off of the football field for just a second, folks. If you haven't already, go to your social media sites. Go to the Colts Twitter. Go to the Colts Instagram. Instagram. Uh, it's easy to find. Find Maytay calling the Alec Pierce touchdown with under a minute to go this past Sunday. It is a viral video. It's a bunch of fun. Maytay, I loved it because it showed the passion <laughs> that you have for this team. I mean, I know I'm being corny here, but it really did. But my favorite thing, we talked about this before, you're like a kid in the street playing at that 645, 715, just about to get dark. Get part, on the bus. And you're saying, yeah, yeah. and he caught it over his shoulder. We saw you animated like that. Maytay, my point is this. That was awesome. Awesome, bro. I hope we do that week in and week out, that fans can watch what you do, bring you into your world for just a minute. Yeah. And that was a great call by you to say, you know, with the Pierce touchdown from yeah. Matt Ryan. Wow. You, you gave me guff because you're like, you're making the catch in the, in the booth <laughs> with him. I'm like, I can't say it unless I do it. My brain doesn't work that way. I got to act it out at, at times to accurately describe it. So incredibly fun. You know, the, the Colts video department did a great job of matching the uh, video with you know, the audio, or in this case, the video from the booth. So, yeah, really, really cool. And, yeah, it's it's fun to give fans, you know, the peer into the radio booth because we, we certainly have a lot of fun up there. That it's, was fun, yeah, because yeah. I've been up there plenty of times, obviously, through my career here. And, and Matt, it's a, it's a long shot. I mean, it's a long view. you got binoculars in your yeah, hand. Someone yeah. was talking about that. It is a good view, but you got to get sometimes in-depth over there and stuff. I'm just saying, folks, it's fascinating to watch – the machine that is calling play-by-play in the NFL. And, Matt Taylor, you do a hell of a job of it. All right, let's move on. The big picture is this. Colts improved to 3-2-1 and one following the win over the Jags, scoring a season-high 34 points, Maytay. Mm-hmm. Matt Ryan, 389 yards, a franchise record, personal best, 42 passes, and orchestrated his 45th career comeback win. They allowed no sacks, no turnovers for the first time. What was the switch, big picture in this thing, Maytay, that said, hey, the Colts are taking care of the little things yep. that will eventually take care of the big things, final score? Well, it's the change up on offense. It's the approach. Um, up-tempo, and they went quick-tempo at the line of scrimmage with that short, quick-rhythm, timing-based passing game. And so I think when you look at this game individually – I think it. I think there's a way to win every football game, and the Colts did what they had to do in order to win that game on Sunday. And Frank Reich knew again that without Jonathan Taylor, without Naeem Hines, and that front seven from Jacksonville, he wasn't going to rush for a big number against Jacksonville. Again, they were shut out back in week number two. They didn't have Michael Pittman Jr. They didn't have Alec Pierce. Those guys came back into this game, and they made a huge difference. So the Colts went quick tempo. I don't think he planned to throw it 58 times. In fact, he talked about that last night on Colts Roundtable Live, but he knew in this game he had to let Matt Ryan dissect the Jaguars in the passing game in order for the Colts to move the ball, score points, and win it. Now the question is, can you do that every game? I think, again, situationally, you do what you have to do to win every game. Um, When you go up tempo, you can't change formations or substitute as often as you want. If you want that advantage at the line of scrimmage, by going quickly, you're not letting your opponent substitute. You're not letting them draw up You're also exotics. not letting yourself substitute, that's right. I mean, that that's the big thing. So you got to get these marathon runners on offense that can say, hey, right. we're going three straight plays and it's going to be up-tempo. So at that point, it just boils down to execution, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and Ryan Kelly said it after the game. I would much rather have a tired offensive lineman 
than a defensive lineman. So I think that was sort of the M.O. in this game. Get them tired. Don't let them substitute. They can't be exotic. They can't draw up you know intricate blitzes like they did back in week number two. So I think the scheme allowed success for the offensive line. They didn't have to protect as long. Matt Ryan was getting the ball out very quickly, a la Andrew Luck in 2018 or Phillip Rivers in 2020, I should say. So I think you found something, but you just want to see the running game come along. But I think it's going to be game by game on whether or not the Colts employ this quick-tempo passing game on a full-time basis. This is 3 and Out with Mayte Voice of the Colts. We're talking about the change-up, rather, of offense. Let me stay there real quick. Give me a minute. One word. Well, two words. Ha! Deion Jackson. How important of a role did he play with Jonathan Taylor on the pine, obviously resting what he's going on with his ankle, but Deion Jackson made people a fantasy afternoon to remember. And people were talking about this kid. Way to go, kid. No doubt. I mean, second-year guy, undrafted free agent running back out of Duke in the moment. Hasn't been too big for him these last two games. I mean, uh, I I thought he was going to have a role in Denver, but then as soon as Naeem Hines goes out, all of a sudden Deion Jackson's the guy. And he's played very, very well. He's, He's run angry. Angry. Uh, he's run decisive. He's done a good job around the goal line, and I think he's caught every pass in two games that's come to him. He had 10 for 79 last week, which was the highest uh, receiving total by a Colts running back in a game since Joseph Adai in 2009. So he's a really, really good football player and good for the Colts to use him you know, in that short passing game out in the flats, get the ball out to him quickly as an extension of the running game. Deion Jackson, a huge part of why the Colts have had success on offense and these last two games. you said a great angry runner. I mean, when he gets the ball in his hands, he's yeah. vicious. We see that, and we see it in the highlights. Speaking of running angry, Michael Pittman Jr., what a great day. Talk a little bit about him and Alec Pierce. We know what happened with Pierce at the end. I mean, incredible. But leading up to that moment, both of those both of those young receivers had a hell of a game against the Jaguars. And, and I thought they made the biggest difference in the game. Again, it's crazy to think that in, in, a, in a month's time, you can score zero points, and then score a season-high 34 points against the same team, the same defense. And and I think, you know, with Pierce and Pittman coming back, you know, that that's that's the biggest reason why. I mean, with Pierce, he's beating press man-to-man coverage, and it's, it's so refreshing to see him doing that as a rookie. A lot of times these first-year wide receivers really struggle with that, but Pierce just physically gifted where he can overcome that. I mean, Shaq Griffin, that's a good football player. I mean, he's a seasoned veteran, and – and Pierce beat him when the game was on the line in crunch time. It was a great, great throw and an even better catch by Alec Pierce. So really good to see him doing that. And I mean, Michael Pittman Jr., wow. 13 catches, 134 yards. I mean, he's running angry, as, as we said earlier, getting yards after the catch. Um, and, and don't forget about everybody else. I mean, it's everybody else, too. It's Paris Campbell having a career yep. day. Jelani Woods, another touchdown in the red zone. So, Kylan Granson. Kylan Granson, absolutely. I, I, huge. I mean, absolutely. didn't like the fumble, didn't need the fumble. But leading up to that, three big plays out of Kylan Granson that this Colts offense is going to need, Matt. They need plays week in and week out to be offensive. And, I mean, you know, to score points right. with their tight ends. It's just not going to happen if they don't. I know JT's on the sideline right now, but going to be coming back. But the, the slew of tight ends, which I love. Love on this team the way it is. Ogletree's a guy that's going to come back next year after his injury as yeah, well. Yeah, good point. Kylan Grinson, but the tight ends may take. Yeah, tight ends, it's running backs, extensions of the running game in this game when you knew you weren't just going to be able to run directly into that front seven. Love so I it, thought man. a game, great game approach by by Frank Reich. And it's funny, I, I know this has nothing to do with, with this game, but just sort of a little bit of a sidebar mm-hmm. here. This was the approach last year. Remember after that? I think it was the Thanksgiving weekend game against uh, Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. It quote-unquote abandoned the running game with Jonathan Taylor. Well, they weren't going to run the ball very well against that Tampa Bay front. And so they went to the passing game, and that approach would have worked. They, they moved the ball, they scored points, but they turned the football over uh, in that game. Unlike this game uh, on Sunday against Jacksonville, had the Colts lost this game, what would everybody be talking Whoa, about? Oh, man. They'd I mean, be talking about the 58 pass attempts. Oh, where, where was the running game? Right, right, right. I know we don't have Jonathan Taylor, but you still can't throw it 58 times. No, you got to do what you got to do to win that day. Sometimes it's going to be on the, the shoulders of the quarterback. So good for the Colts to get it done. You go back to last year, that was the same approach they, they used against Tampa Bay. And it would have worked had they taken care of the football. Right. And you talk about receptions spreading the wealth around there. I mean, Deion Jackson and Michael Pittman, 10-plus receptions. Yeah. Uh, Paris had seven receptions. I'm not saying this Colts offense is going to look like that, Matt, because Jonathan Taylor was on the shelf. 
But, boy, it was fun to watch. You talk about Matt Ryan being a pro football Hall of Famer to show what he did. I mean, another game-winning drive like that and saying, hey, right now, in order for us to win this game, I'm going to have to chuck it all afternoon. I love that thing because it kind of came around and just said, yeah. I'm not going to say a signature moment for him because he's had a couple in the last, you know, but this was. This was one game oh, that yeah, he absolutely said, hey, was. I'm putting this crowd, I'm putting 68,000 on my back, <laughs> and we're going down the field, and if I have to do it with a rookie, I'm going to do it. Welcome Alec Pierce. And he's already had four moments. I mean, you throw in the Texans game in week number one, coming back from 17 points, uh, the Chiefs game in week three, the Denver game with the field goal drive, both in at the end of regulation and overtime, then in this game. I mean, Matty Ice is alive and well, brother, and the, the Colts are Ooh. feeling it. Uh, you know, it's great to see in the fourth quarter, but this is where the Colts are at their best, is when they're spreading the football around. This is what Frank Reich wants. This is the hallmark of a Frank Reich offense. Spread the ball around, get a lot of people involved. Seven different players have caught a pass in every game so far this year. At least nine players have a catch in three games this year for the Colts. So this is what Frank Reich wants. He wants it to be about the receivers, the tight ends, the running backs all getting involved. Great. I mean, Kylan Granson. Granson's making plays. I mean, he's big after yards after the catch and the crossers over the middle. I mean, he already has more catches this year than he did all last year as a rookie. So he's coming along. We talked about Deion Jackson. You'll love to see it personally for Paris Campbell. Mm -hmm. You know, his first big touchdown moment since last year when he was hurt on the touchdown in week six against the Texans. Um, so you love to see the Colts not having to rely on one or two players every week in the passing game. It's good to have Pittman. It's good to have Pierce in situational moments. But these receivers and these pass catchers are, I think, finally at where Chris Ballard and Frank Reich thought they would be. And I think, you know, it was a great moment last night on, again, on Colts Roundtable Live. Frank Reich sort of, uh, I think, sarcastically said, hey, we told you so. When everybody was criticizing what we had on our roster, we just said, you know, just just wait. Just wait for him to come, and I think they finally are here. And I think this offense is at a good place finally after scoring only five touchdowns, or excuse me, six touchdowns in the first five games of the season. Mate, we're going three and out here real quick. Defensively speaking, big play by EJ Speed, obviously, on a fourth down short that happened. And also Isaiah Rogers, a lot of reps now, coming in to saying, hey, I'm going to be playing a lot more than in, in this backfield, mm -hmm. uh, defensive backfield, rather, that a lot of Colts fans have been saying, where is Isaiah Rogers? Well, he comes on the field and he performs. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a big debate now going forward. Mm -hmm. The playing time in the nickel packages between Rogers and Brandon Faison. And, you know, facing had a questionable couple of plays. And Rodgers has always been consistent, has great ball tracking ability, great ball skills when the when the play comes his way. So there's no doubt that's going to be a storyline going forward in this game. What you want to see now going forward is the rushing defense be a little bit better. I mean, 243 yards allowed on the ground to Jacksonville. That's a little bit eyebrow raising a little bit. You know what I mean? So um, giving up some big plays, trying to be gap sound, trying to shut off that leaky faucet, which is the rushing defense. I mean, if you go back, I mean, I crunched the numbers on that. The first three games of the season, the Colts defense was giving up 77 yards rushing. Really good number, really elite number. But that number the last three games has ballooned all the way up to 165 yards. Matt, so, we saw it early in this one. I mean, there's a couple of long yeah. bursts out of these Jags running backs. It's like, hey, guys, this ain't yeah. us. This ain't the defense. It's, it's gap control. It's, it's alignment, you know, just lining up correctly, especially when, you know, the Jaguars shifted a couple of tight ends and the Colts didn't react to that. So that that allowed some big running alleys for Jamichael Hasty and ETN and, and James Robinson. So got to get that fixed. But, you know, what you still like about the defense, though, is they're playing well inside the red zone. They got nine tackles for loss. One of those came on a big fourth down stop uh, by EJ Speed mm -hmm. when the Jaguars were trying to get cute, Brilliant, run the yeah. option into the boundary. Um, so all in all, a really good defensive performance. But you know you got to stop the run against Derrick Henry and the Titans. So that's going to be first and foremost in terms of the priority defensively going to this game. Advantage Colts, advantage Titans. You're going down there. They're coming off a bye, obviously getting healthier and resting up their bones and muscles and whatnot because they are playing a violent sport, mate. I'm saying this, though. Advantage Colts on a on a, on a two game winning yeah, streak. Yeah, some right momentum, now. some momentum, if you will, in a place that they have had a lot of success. That's down in Nashville. Nashville coming off a victory as well. You know who's advantage who on this one? You that's think? a good question. I think I think this early in the season, you know, you, you you'd want to have your buy a little bit later yes. on. So I think that might be an advantage for the Colts, maybe down the road to get healthy later in the season, but. As an NFL player, you take the bye whenever you can get it. So it, that's an interesting question because the Colts are hot. 
Tennessee's hot to a degree, but then they had to stall. They had to stop their their streak, if you will, because of the bye. You know, they've won three in a row. They've won three in a row after starting the season 0-2. Listen, never count out a Mike Vrabel team. Nope. What, what, what they are so good at is Can't just wait, finding man. ways to win. Just like the Colts this year, they're 3-1 and one in close games. The Titans are too. But since 2018 under Vrabel, they are 23-11 and 11 in games decided by seven points or less. So Tough. they find ways to win. They may not have a great roster, and I mean that all due respect. The, their roster is not littered with superstars sure. and all pro players. And they lost A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown's not there anymore. But they sort of take on the approach and the personality of their head coach, and they're just dogs. They find ways to win. They were the number one seed in the NFL or the AFC last year for a reason. So you got to knock them off. You got to beat the champs in order to be the champs. It'll be about 70 degrees this Sunday at 1 o'clock kickoff against the Titans. Sunny and, Maddie, sunny. Sunny and 70. And 70. I mean, I mean you're calling great games and they're going to crack You see the they're going to build a dome down there? Yeah, how about that? Congratulations to them. They're going to build a dome down there. I know, but here's what I love about that. The NFL getting bigger and broader, a Super Bowl in yeah. Nashville, but at the same time, they're going to take some business away from Indianapolis. That's what we were talking about yesterday. They're going to take yeah, – I mean, it's a four-hour drive yeah. right there, and it's like, hey, we go to Indy for a long weekend mm-hmm. for a convention or for whatever it is, or we go to Nashville yeah, for And they're, they're going to be a player now. If, if they build it right and do it right, mm-hmm. they're going to be a player for – Final Fours yes. and college football, you know, national championship game. It's all in the cards there. Well, good for them. We're looking forward to it because it'll be stupidly obscene and gorgeous and, you know, 2.2 2 billion. Hello, 2.2 2 billion. <laughs> Matt Taylor, voice That's of the Colts. That's for Gore, man. Uh, yeah, right. We got that in Come the on car. Now. Hey, listen, I appreciate the quick three and out. Time now to go to some chart toppers and song floppers, but I'm telling you right now, there's no song <laughs> floppers. There's a couple of little wiggles that we can talk about, but let's do that from Colts.com. Obviously, some of the busiest media members in the NFL. We keep him busy. That means J.J. Stankovitz from Colts.com. Lara Overton from Colts.com as well, among other things. Guys, chart topper, song floppers. Before we get into football, okay, I want to find out who would be the best singer here real quick. I mean, if we had to sing and be entertaining, is it you, Lara? No, I think it would be you. No, I yeah, can't sing. You are a performer. You are. No, yes. yeah, I'm talking about singing, guys. Like singing, like going up there You've and really. You got the gravelly voice. You could probably well, do a good Eddie Vedder. No, in all the time, in all the time that you've spent <laughs> on the road with that, rock yeah. and roll bands <laughs> and working in Nashville and working in Music City, doing all of those things, I'm sure you've picked up. A tip or two. I, I would you can love. Hold your own. I, I no, I can't. Plus, you I'm look terrible. a little rock and roll right I, now. How would how would Maytay sound? How would JJ sound if they? Had, I'm sorry. I know we're talking football here, but it, it just gets me thinking sometimes. I'd pay guys. I'd pay to see Lara sing, not you two. I'm just gonna say it right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't. No, you don't want to hear me sing. Yeah, it's terrible. Not gonna happen. I think the last time I sang in public was my ninth grade performance of Grease. I was Frenchy. Really? Yeah. Oh, I remember Frenchy played by. Uh, I was Boy, the beauty school one. Played by Lara Overton. <laughs> no, played by Lara Overton, but then uh, I forget her name. I can see her in the thing, Grease. All right, that's another thing we got I going I was no right Olivia Newton-John, that's you, for uh, sure. Chart know? topper number one, okay? We're going chart topper, song flopper, the Colts. And, Lara, I'll start with you. Colts attempted 58 passes. Matt Ryan, how's your arm? And he gave, they gave up no sacks with a third different offensive line combo in three weeks. Chart topper, that thing worked. J.J.'s on deck. Absolutely. That I mean, for all of the reworking of the O-line that you have done, trying to find a combination to put Matt Ryan in a position for success. Hey, Dennis Kelly. Round of applause for Dennis yeah. Kelly DK. right there. The vet stepping up. He had no, the injury. DK. He had the injury in training camp. And also, I knew that was going to be a problem. I told Mayte going in. I was like, Ryan Kelly and Dennis Kelly. So in terms of if I'm trying to identify things, I'm going to do the best I can in terms of just, you know, whether it's D. Kelly or R. Kelly, the good R. Kelly, that is. So, I mean, <laughs> when you think about the performance, not just of the offensive line, I was joking with Frank Reich about this on Monday, like, Matt Ryan's like rewriting the record books. You look at all of the different marks that he eclipsed in that game. Pass Marino. He set the franchise record for completions in a single game at 42. The previous record was 40. That was co-held by a couple of guys named Manning and Luck. And then you have Matt Ryan in that, you know, in that category now. So I think that this is, I think you finally have something that is feasible and that can work moving forward, but you also know that you have a young offensive lineman like Bernard Ryman who's going to work his way into the mix as well. He is likely going to be the future, but loved that 
they were willing to try things out, to work different things yes. in, to explore the possibilities that there were, and that you finally found something successful for, you know, for the passing game. Now what you want to do, I mean, not just the passing game either. I mean, Deion Jackson Ooh. runs away with Great the afternoon. angry runs yeah. t- title today on Good Morning Football. The scepter is coming to end. He did, huh? Yeah. Yes. Oh, congrats. That's a good deal. That's a great deal. That's a great deal. That's a good guy. That is a a great deal. You think about that. Deion Jackson, first NFL start. You have the touchdown run. You win angry runs of the week. You're a huge part of the victory. So, yeah, absolutely love, love that was there in terms of the protection that there was for Matt Ryan and also the production you got in the run game. Now let's get that same production and let's get Jonathan Taylor back couple things here that I've been thinking about after this game. So there's all this emphasis on how the Colts went up-tempo, no huddle against the Jaguars, which worked. It, it definitely was a, a kind of accelerator that the Colts were able to step into to kind of neutralize Jacksonville's pass rush. But it's not something the Colts are going to lean into every week. It's hard to do that week-to-week week in the NFL because it kind of limits the, the, the way you can deploy your personnel. Frank Reich wants to be multiple in how he uses his guys, how he creates mismatches through his personnel. The thing that I think is sustainable about this game, why I'm confident that the Colts offense can keep this going going forward, they ran six plays under center in this entire game. Six out of 81 plays were under center. That is easily their lowest total of that this year. When you think about coming off that Broncos game, you get the extra couple of days with the mini buy to kind of reevaluate some stuff and, and look at where you are. I think the Colts have now, I think we're going to see them lean into being a shotgun team. And we saw how that worked. Advantage Jonathan Taylor or disadvantage? I think it's an advantage for Jonathan Taylor because Jonathan Taylor this year is averaging more yards per carry out of the shotgun than he is under center. There he is. So when when you come back with Jonathan Taylor, this suits him better. Last year, Jonathan Taylor was better running the ball under center, but you also had Jack Doyle. Mm -hmm. You had Eric Fisher, a a really solid run-blocking left tackle. You know, you had Mark Lewinsky. You had an offensive line that was maybe more suited to under center runs. This year, I think your personnel may be more suited for shotgun. And the Colts have, have kind of maybe figured this out a little bit. You look at their under center snaps. They had 30 in week one against Houston. They had nine in week two against Jacksonville, but they only had 50 total snaps in that game. Then 13, 17, 21 in the next three weeks, then six in this game. And I think when you just you think about how the Colts are tweaking some things, they're trying to find their identity. Like, you know, we're going to talk about with Tyler Dunn later, where when you just win games early in the season, it's good as you try to find this identity. And this is something that if the Colts look at this and they say, hey, we can really lean into being a shotgun-oriented offense, that's something that it's hard to figure that out without getting into games. And I'm interested how this progresses forward now this season, but right now it looks like, hey, maybe they found something with this shotgun-oriented offense. And we're going to find out what happens. Lara, on the other side, Colts entered the game allowing just 3.4 yards a carry. But the Jags, we saw it gouged out early, 243 yards rushing. Concern? No, because you beat Jacksonville. You know, they had they had been looming over you. They, they shut you out in week two. You know how they like to vary their offense and how great of an offensive uh, you know, uh, group that they have with Doug Peterson and, and with Press Taylor and how much variety they like to have within their offense. So I, I think to me, you're not going to have that each and every week. I know that everyone's going to point to, oh, man, if you can't stop, you know, Jacksonville more effectively, what are you going to do this week against Derrick Henry? But to me, you know, Jacksonville had been more of a problem of late in terms of what you had struggled to do in terms of not only containing kind of their overall run game but especially in containing Trevor Lawrence so I think it was it to me it was more important to somewhat stifle Trevor Lawrence and avoid allowing him to fall into a rhythm early you you were going to have some sort of a trade-off right to Mm -hmm. some degree so to me it's gonna vary you're not going to be able to have you know allow just 3.4 yards per carry every single week of the NFL season. You're going to have somewhere you give up fewer yards in exchange to have more production and and be more stout in other areas. So, yeah, I- I'm okay with it because you looked at two, four sacks in the first yeah, half, nine TFLs in the entire right. game. So when you look at those things and complement to it, I'm okay. If I can get four sacks in the first in the first half on a quarterback who is very mobile, who has the ability to make plays with his legs, I'm okay. 
the five longest runs of the season against the Colts defense have all been by the Jaguars. The Colts do not play the Jaguars again this season. But they got to play Derrick Henry this week, JJ. Yeah, well, and I'm they, saying, they, like, that's they what do I want to play. It's I a completely talk to you about different this. offense, though. 165 rushing yards per game they've given up in the last three games. I'm going to the song, the, the, the song flopper on this one. Find me some positive in that because they are going. And it's 29th in the NFL right now, and they pride themselves on stopping the run. Enter King Henry. I'm just – uh, is yeah. the concern factor there? I mean, look, Derrick Henry had a very good first half against the Colts in week four. Uh, in the second half, he couldn't do anything. In situations where you kind of knew Tennessee was going to be running the ball with that lead. Um, I, and the Colts have generally done a pretty good job against Derrick Henry over the last couple of years. It's kind of baked into their mentality. Um, so it was a little bit surprising to see Henry have a pretty good first half a couple weeks ago. But I, it, it's a completely different offense. The way that Jacksonville can kind of crease these balls, you know, and their run game, you know, you get hasty going for 61 yards when you have a loaded box. You have ETN going for 48 yards. You have James Robinson, the 37-yarder in week two. Um, you know, Jamal Agnew, a completely different kind of guy with the ball in his hands. I- I'm not really worried about where the Colts' run defense is going to be because we've seen what Grover Stewart can do. We've seen what DeForest Buckner can do. Zaire Franklin's playing out of his mind. EJ Speed is playing out of his mind. On that side of the ball, whether or not Shaquille Leonard comes back, we'll see. Um, I, I, you know, the the one thing I think I might look at here. Saw Shaq Leonard yesterday, by the way. Yeah. He's doing well. Great. Doing well. Yeah, Very yeah, good. yeah. Great to hear the, that. Got the uh, brace off of the the nose. He, you know, and everything. So he's he's healing up really well. So that he's he's feeling great, and all the swelling has gone down from that surgery to repair the broken nose. Good. So yeah, good yeah. Update. You, you hope yeah, you're welcome. You hope uh, the other update we get this week is that maybe Quiddy Pay could potentially be back this week. Keep an eye on his practice status Wednesday and especially on Thursday because um, if the Colts can get him back, he's so important in setting the edge against the runs, that would be a big addition to the Confident defense. JT plays. We'll see. I think, you know, it's because he practiced twice last week, that's probably a good step in the right direction. And if I'm if I'm the Colts and you're making the decision, all right, do we need JT in this game? We can kind of really lean into the pass, and we need Jonathan Taylor for the rest of the season, for the next 11 games, not just for this one game. I get it if you say, hey, we want to make sure you are as close to top-level Jonathan I, Taylor as you can I be. think it not only comes down to Jonathan Taylor's health, I think it comes down to, to you're much more confident in your offensive line this week than you have been in prior weeks to put him out there with what you're getting. Hey, you know, the can production we talk about that? that? I mean, we, 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 we saw it both, and I want your input on this real quick. Dennis Kelly, not to get dramatic here and stuff, said to one of the reporters, pool reporters in the locker room last week, I came here to play. Mm-hmm. Came here to play. Came out to the media and said, hey, I came here to play. I don't know. You tell me. I came here to play. It wasn't animosity, but it was just a little bit of, hey, what went on? And finally we see him get in there, and not only that, have a hell of an impact. I mean, I, I you know, Frank Reich said the plan was for him to rotate with Bernard Ryman, and it wasn't anything that Bernard did. It was just, hey, Dennis is playing really well. If you look at the last, the last snap Bernard played, he stood up. Uh, I think it was Josh. It was either Josh Allen or Trayvon Walker. He stood him up in pass protection, did a really good job. But then Dennis Kelly comes in and is like, whoa, whoa, this guy's playing really well. How can we continue to rotate these guys? A couple of things with that. Dennis Kelly's time was limited in training camp. Did he have any time at all in training camp? He I maybe don't believe had a practice. he did. And he, I mean, he didn't have much time in OTAs either. he had to have, had to have a procedure. And I also think that – so you were in a situation where he had to prove that he was healthy and durable and that he – so there was that factor of it. Then you also had the situation of you had drafted Bernard Ryman and you had already kind of promised that starting role to Matt Pryor. So Matt Pryor deserved to get an opportunity there. You had to work through some things. There were a number of factors – leading up to that but I also commend Dennis Kelly for advocating for himself and 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 yeah so I think there were multiple factors and this was just the good time this was finally timing where Dennis Kelly was a healthy enough option for you to prove what he can do for this offense we've already talked about what Matt Ryan means to this offense and he's getting hot Uh, ranked second in the NFL passing yards through six games he's now led four fourth quarter we know all this we've talked about it a little bit earlier that's the hit that's a chart topper I'm gonna be the bad guy good news bad news you ready for that Colts have lost four straight to the Titans, and five of the last six have to go down the Nashville. Nashville this weekend, the Titans have racked up three sacks, five quarterback hits, hits, and picked off Matt Ryan, uh, his pass, and forced three fumbles. Okay, in their road victory over the Colts, I'm just saying, why do they have their number? JJ, I'm starting with you. I think it starts up front with the way that that defensive line is played. Um, you know, Danico Watry. It's like every time he plays the Colts, he Get he looks gum. like. 
I mean, my goodness, Hall of he Famer looks like Aaron Donald. Um, but Jeffrey Simmons is a really good player, too. We, we know that. He's probably on an all-pro track in his career. So you really got to take care of the interior of that Titans defensive line. That's where it starts. And the other thing with Tennessee, man, I mean, you look at their roster coming into this year, and you're like, all right, you know, you trade A.J. Brown. Everyone's a year older. You, you know, you've got some pieces there, but you're kind of in this transition-type year. But you're not in a transition year with Mike Vrabel who is such a good head coach. I have such respect for the the mentality that that Titans team plays with every single year where you think, eh, they probably shouldn't be that good. They're the number one seed in the AFC. They're tough. Eh, they shouldn't yeah. be that good. They're leading the AFC South going into week seven. I mean, they, they are a tough physical team. They always bring it, and and they are they're a challenge for this Colts team. They are a, a physical and schematic challenge that the Colts are going to have to be up to this All week. All right, the record is what the record is. But let's go back to a few games. Okay, down there in 20, you beat them. You beat the Titans in Nashville in 2020 on some phenomenal special teams play. That was the T.J. Carey, E.J. Speed uh, blocked punt that uh, – that became a score. Uh, then you go into 21. Okay, down there in 21, Carson Wentz is playing on two sprained ankles. Yep. Uh, and and you were still in that game. And then here, it was a freak play. I mean, Taekwon Lewis, interception, we've, we've gone through it all. Then there was that that happens. Like it, It's not like you've gotten blown out in these opportunities. The Colts have been in these uh, contests of late. I, I think that there have just been, there as we have come to expect with divisional games, it's a battle. It's going to be down to the fourth quarter. It's going to be a dogfight. There are always going to be kind of some wacky, unpredictable things that happen. I do have great faith and confidence in the Colts this go-round, building off you know two really gritty victories. So I, I like where the Colts are right now. I think they are rising. One of the things I've talked to a number of the veteran guys in this locker room about is that you finally establish who you are as a team Week five, week six. Mm -hmm. So that is where this team is starting to come to their own. One thing quickly, you mentioned the game-winning drives, the clutch play of Matt Ryan. Here's what I love about those plays, about the game-winning drives. The way he's elevated the rookies in mm. those situations, Jelani Woods and Alec Pierce, that's what makes Matt Ryan so great is it's not just the plays that he makes, it's the plays that he elevates other guys to make on this offense. How about that? I mean, th those two guys catching game-winning touchdowns in the last 30 seconds – of two games, and and Lara, I know you've talked to players about this, some of the young guys, but they just say when you look at Matt Ryan and and you you see how calm and collected and confident he is in those moments, that just brings you up as a player. And you know when when Matt Ryan says, "Hey, be in this spot," you're gonna go be in that spot because you trust that he knows exactly what he's doing in those situations. And and you're that's such a good point with Alec and Jelani, where, hey, you need to go make a play, go make a play, well, you and can do it. The last thing for me is it's also a couple of plays before that when there's the conversation on the sidelines and the guys are thinking, okay, how do we play this safe? How do we set up? We, all, all we need is a field goal to win it. And Matt's like, no, let's score a touchdown. <laughs> He's like, this is how we're going to be. We're going to be aggressive. Let's go into that. You love that mindset, and that is infectious across this offense when you have a leader like that because you know Frank Reich's a ballsy play caller. Then when that's mirrored in your quarterback and then he also – you has the you know um, has the production and, and you know has uh, the ability to to execute it then that that creates a ripple effect. hey can, can we get a quick ranking uh, top five things about Alec Pierce's game-winning touchdown number one Alec on the play number two uh, Matt Ryan with the throw uh, okay. number three Matt Taylor's call of it that you I'm can watch that, on cold yeah, social I'm media channels number one That's <laughs> I thought it was better than the catch number really four did. Casey Vallier <laughs> celebrating it in the background of the video <laughs> At number five, uh, Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson picking up a stunt. That was fun. That was fun. Oh, man. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in a minute. But first off, i got to say hi to Ty Dunn, an incredible book out, National NFL Insider as well, and host of the Go Long podcast. Also author of a new book, guys. This is fun. The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. That is written by Ty Dunn. He joins us now. What I love about this, and we're going to talk the state of the Colts in the NFL right now, but you're looking back in the years of the greatest position, arguably, on the football field, the tough tight end position. But you got a chance to find out a little bit about one of our own, and that's Dallas Clark, who obviously had magnificent numbers and seasons with Peyton Manning-led offense. What did you find out about T Dallas Clark that you liked, Ty, that you didn't know before you talked to him? Well, I, can you guys carve out about five hours on that topic? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Dallas Clark is football. Dallas Clark is America. He is everything we love about humanity in general. That was 
Um, you know, but I, I just told you before we, we started, that, that might have been my favorite conversation. Out of all of these that I had traveling the country, hanging out with all of these tight ends who really saved the sport and, and really forced us to look into the mirror and examine our own lives and what we're doing in this world, Dallas Clark is at the top of that list. I mean, if you want to start at the start, it, it starts with his mother tragically dying in his arms as a high school senior right before his graduation. And as he put the life can kind of go one of two directions there. You you can absolutely go into the pits. You can absolutely blame God, blame whoever you want. And he really did genuinely go that other direction. And it, it in, in so many ways, that trauma kind of defined him. And we get into it in the book. But everything he went through in Iowa, it, it kind of blows your mind. I mean, this is a needle in the, in the haystack. This is somebody who is on the campus newspaper at 6 a.m. and and mowing Kinnick Stadium and tearing up the padding on the side and covering it up and I mean, <laughs> I mean he did it all. He was a test dummy for psychology students figuring out why they pick red M and M's and you know a dentistry uh, dummy for those students because he got the free cleaning. He <laughs> he really paid his way through school. He worked every step of the way. It, it is no coincidence that he became Peyton Manning's. You know, best friend on and off the field, really. I mean, they're pro- pulling pranks on teammates. They're connected for just iconic third downs. Oh, incredible. Um, I-, I think we can all learn something from Dell. And, and real quick, I just want to add, and just finish the Ironman triathlon there. Just had a little fun afternoon <laughs> of about 13 hours of grueling physical. Uh, on top of everything that Dallas does, he's also an Ironman. So well yeah. done. Well done on this book. I can't wait to dive into it, Ty. Hey, and you know what's funny is we, we talked shortly after he kind of went through that self-described like midlife crisis. He was just kind of figuring out, you know, ah, just Googling around. What do I want to do to try to impact the world? And, oh, why, why not? Let, let's, let's do an Ironman. Let's try to raise a million bucks for a hospital. Let's take this on. He's, he is one of a kind. You got that right. This is the most relentlessly optimistic tight end on the planet. That is how your chapter about Dallas Clark starts. Colts fans, you can go read that at golongtd.com. I am a loyal subscriber to Go Long and some of the work that Tyler does. It's all fantastic. And... The Blood and Guts, it's out today. You can go find it. You can pre-order it on Amazon. You can order it, I guess, on Amazon now that it's out. Um, Tyler, though, when when you're going through this and you're looking at the history of tight ends in the NFL, and I'm so excited to dig in to the chapters you you have on John Mackey, the great Colts tight end from the Baltimore days, what did you learn about how this position has evolved from you know, I guess the the John Mackey, Mike Ditka era in the '60s to the Rob Gronkowski, Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, Travis Kelsey era that it kind of has been since the turn of the millennium. Great question, because you know it's it really was created, founded, just started from scratch by Mike Ditka and John Mackey. I mean, you're talking those early 1960s is when the end, you know, through the 30s, 40s, 50s, you just kind of called that player an end. And, and Ernie, of course, he's somebody who I'm sure your listeners uh, know well. He's such a great historian when it comes to the Colts and, and the whole NFL. I, as he put it, like you had your split end and then you had your end. And then here comes Dicka, here comes Mackey. They're able to kind of do this two-way release off the line of scrimmage. Uh, Luke Johnsos was the Bears offensive coordinator. He had the innovation there. And with the Colts, I mean, Don Shula just had a vision for this this hybrid kind of threat out of Syracuse and John Mackey, who played a little running back, played a little tight end, but he figured, look, look at this dude's size. Look at what he can do after the catch. We're going to put him at this, you know, this budding position that nobody has seen before. And yeah, you catch a short pass and you just run people over. That, that's basically what that tight end position was with those two. They bludgeoned, they beat the hell out of you. It was glorious to watch. It was right when NFL films was coming on. So they're almost were kind of like, superheroes, right? I mean, you put that music with it. You put John Suspenda's voice with John Mackey. <laughs> they, they kind of became larger than life. Um, so th- that's how it starts. And then, gosh, if you want to fast forward back to Clark, I mean, I think that he absolutely had a role in the evolution where, yeah, you, you know, is he is he 6'6", like Kellen Winslow, this matchup nightmare? No. Is he going to lower his shoulder and just run over you like Jeremy Shockey? No, but all of that, that, that walk-on mentality, as he put, that ability to to want to learn and learn and, and work at his craft. I mean, him and Peyton, during the off-seasons, they, they wouldn't just work up a Coriel uh, route tree. They'd go out there and say, okay, what are the two routes that we want to just absolutely master? And let's work on those two routes 25 times, right? Like, 
let's get it till it's absolutely perfect to the centimeter where you want me to be. And that's kind of how they spent their off seasons to where, all right, you, you, you stick Dallas Clark out in the slot. You know, there's no need to sign a receiver when Brandon Stokely goes down in 06 because Clark can handle it. And you can trust him on third down. You know exactly where he's going to be. And, and hey, if a, if a corner's out there, guess what? You're going to run the ball his direction. So that offense, you know, that no-huddle offense, it was there before Clark got there. But it is he took it to a new level because now you don't have to substitute anybody in if you want to run or pass. You keep him out there, and then if a linebacker's over the top, you send him on a route. Strong safety, you send him on a route. And, and by the way, they've worked on that route, you know, more times than they can even count. Hey, Ty, take me back to the start of this. How, how long have you been sitting on this idea and where did the idea come from? Why did you want to write this in-depth of a book about the tight end position? I guess it, it, it probably comes from the emotion that we all felt as football consumers last weekend when flags are just flying and we're wondering what in the hell is becoming of this NFL. <laughs> like, that's, that's a flag? That's roughing the passer? I, I've always been kind of an old soul when it comes to football. Like haven't played it my entire life, watched it my entire life. It's, it's just been, you know, so in, in, ingrained in, into how I think. It's just, it, I guess that's probably where it starts, just seeing wh- wh- where is the game right now and who is the player that has kind of preserved what we love about football. And, hey, I, I, I don't think it's callous to say, I mean, there's an element of risk when you put on the pads and you decide to hit other human beings. That's why we watch. Look, I mean, the violence is a huge reason. We all can't take our eyes off this product. And until you stick the flags in, until you make it touch, I mean, you're going to have blocking. You're going to have tackling. And I I think that the player who does keep that alive more than anybody is the tight end. Because, yeah, linemen, offensive and defensive, obviously they're hitting each other 60, 70 times a game. But the tight end is just so freaking fun. I mean, you, that, that's the player who can still make a play down the field and then and dance his butt off in the end zone and have personality and preserve that authenticity within the game that we love so much. Um, so that's kind of what set me off on this cross-country tour. I mean, I hung out with Mike Ditka, Jeremy Shockey, Ben Coates. Jackie Smith was unbelievable. Um, I can't wait for people to learn more about him beyond the Super Bowl drop we all know. And then obviously the Gronks and the Kittles and the Gonzalez's. It, it, it really was um, a labor of love, kind of puts it lightly. I mean, it was a passion project in every sense. Ty, I've talked about this a lot, and I got a question. Is Rob Gronkowski a first ballot Hall of Famer and considered the best to play the position? I know eras change. I know we're talking about the Ditkas and the Mackies, but when it's all said and done in the new era of football, is Gronkowski considered the best? I think he is, right? I, I really do. I think that this is. The player who probably you can stick into any era. I mean, 50s, 60s, 70s. It doesn't matter. I mean, Rob Gronkowski just has a game that can kind of just transport to, to any era you want. I mean, he, he blocks. He, I mean, he, he was breaking dudes' necks without even knowing his rookie year. <laughs> Bosch. I mean, a crackback block. He's, he's in college catching a pass down the field. Alfonso Jackson for Washington State. You know, he's a headhunting safety in the, in the college ranks, blasts into him. Gronk just kind of wobbles a, a, a bit, and he's in the end zone for a touchdown. What did that hit do to Alfonso Jackson? Well, he suffered a concussion, and it basically ended his career. I mean, this, this is a creature, a specimen, unlike anything we've seen. And I, I think that totality of his game is, is, you know, that's one bucket. But then you got the authenticity. You've got the personality. You've got the fun in which he just brought – and he, where did he bring it? He brought it to the evil empire, to Bill Belichick, to the New England Patriots. You know, we all thought these are a bunch of robots who can't even think for themselves or have basic human emotions. And, and he brought it back to that. I mean, that, that's where he is Joe Soy fiesting around and, you know, dancing his butt off after, after Super Bowl losses. Um, I, I think that that almost preserves everything we love as football, as much as his beautiful belligerence and violence on the field that we love. One other thing for you, Ty, the, my favorite part of this passage that you put on GoLongTD.com was about how Dallas Clark gained weight. And for all of us normal people reading this, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. He guzzled NCAA-approved protein shakes that tasted like puddle water and pounded two medium-sized Totino's party pizzas before bed. This is, this is insane how Dallas Clark got up to the weight that he was at because he thought you had to be a 275-pounder 
to to make it as a tight end in the NFL. I look at our tight end room here in Indy, and you got Kylan Granson, who's 6'2", 240, and runs like a gazelle out there. That position for for so long, it seems like it was just inline guys, kind of like we were talking about. And now you've kind of added this sort of hybrid type tight end to the equation. Where do you see this position going in the future now that you've done all this research about where it's been in the past? I, I do think that it's still behooves you to have a dude who can do it all. And that that's why we end the whole the whole book with George Kittle and, and a deep dive on him because yeah, it's no slight of Travis Kelsey. I mean Kelsey's unbelievable and it's schematically what you can do with him and I mean, even outside of the scheme. I mean, it, it turns into a game of basketball with Patrick Mahomes where they're just kind of freestyling out there. Um, but I just feel like George Kittle, he might finish a game with four catches for 48 yards, but just take a look at how many yards the, the San Francisco 49ers ran for. They probably ran for 270 that day. Um, and he probably had a huge part to do with that because if you're, if you're such a good blocker, if you can be dependable, if you have that willingness to just stick somebody's face in the dirt 10 yards downfield like Kittle does as he's, if he's laughing in your face and enjoying every second of it, that's going to open up the pass game. I mean, he, he sees it and he breaks it down and like, Hey, I'm blocking a guy all game long. All of a sudden he kind of gets a little, a little lazy, you know, in terms of being a, a, a cover man and forgets that I might just slip behind him. And there I go for 70 yards. And I, I, I do think that that's the tight end you still want. Now the problem is that that tight end is really hard to find. I mean, college is, you know, the, the days of us talking about spread and the spread offense, I mean, that feels antiquated itself. I mean, the spread is like on steroids at this point where nobody's really deploying this kind of tight end, probably because they can't even find him in high school, really. I mean, you want the athletic freak who's just going to be a matchup nightmare. So I still think there's, there's college scouts. You know, Mark Bruner's in the book as an old-school tight end. He's a scout for the Steelers now. And he, he kind of breaks it down. Wow, we're, we're trying to find that guy, right? But you almost have to find the willingness of a Pat Fryer move to, you know, maybe he didn't block a lot, but he wants to block. And then you teach him up, you coach him up, and then you have that all-around tight end. So I still think that's kind of what teams want, is somebody who does it all. Yet, you know, to the extreme, you're not, you're not going to turn down a Kyle Pitts. I mean, if you, if you could get this freak show who's a matchup nightmare – and just throw him out wide, like you know, like Callum Winslow back in the day. Uh, yeah, that's that's not a bad place for the tight end position to be either. No doubt about it. That's good stuff. Ty Dunn, NFL insider from the Go Long podcast. He's also the author of the new book, Blood and Guts: How Tight Ends Save Football. It's available on Amazon right now. Just came out today, and also wherever books are sold. Um, before we let you go, Ty, I want to talk to you about the Colts. You're dialed in on the NFL, as we said all year long. I got to ask you through six games here, the Colts are up and down, right? Three, two, and one, but they're getting hot here lately. They've won two games in a row through six. Uh, where do you have the Colts right now through six games? Where do you have them in terms of the AFC hierarchy as we're about a quarter and a half through the season? Man, you know, the, the older you get just kind of covering this, this league, you just you learn it's good to collect wins this time of year, right? It might be the ugliest football game we've ever seen in our damn lives. But if you win that game, nobody's going to really care or remember. They'll just remember that you won. So I think that's huge for Indy to just kind of collect some of these wins. You know, it might not always be pretty, but they hope they can just figure it out on offense. You know, you, you get you get Jonathan Taylor healthy down the road. Um, Matt, Matt Ryan starts gaining rapport with receivers around Pittman. The defense is loaded. I, I think you, get, you have studs at every level, and, Boy, you thank the heavens for Stephon Gilmore. He, he won two, the first two games. Where are they without Stephon Gilmore? I don't even know. I think that you can still talk yourself into the Colts as being a contender. No, no doubt about it. Because it's a long season. They're in the right division. You do have a quarterback who's, who knows what it takes. He's older. But I think this last game gives you some hope that there's still some juice left in Matt Ryan. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that they're in a, a good position especially when you look around the league, how many just good teams are there? I don't know. Three, four? It's, it's totally up for grabs, and the Colts are absolutely in the mix. One of my favorite details that I've read in something you've wrote, Ty, was uh, when you were up at training camp in Westfield this year, you talked to Stephon Gilmore, and Gilmore told you that, you know those videos that wide receivers post on Instagram or TikTok of them <laughs> working on their releases? Well, he takes note of that. 
He's not a big social media guy, but he looks at that and he says, oh, huh, that's how you have that kind of release. I'm going to make a mental note of that and then beat you on that when I play you later this season. Like, those those little things that Stephon Gilmore is able to do, you mentioned the, the two plays he made to seal the Colts' wins. When you think about where this team can go this season with a guy like Stephon Gilmore, with his experience, his level of talent, what kind of confidence does that give you in the Colts? Oh, my God. Thanks for bringing that up. I isn't isn't that hilarious? I, mean, I just love anybody using the narcissism of Generation Z against them. <laughs> hey, you want you want to go? I'm all about it. I am all about it. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I, I wish it would backfire and like TikTok would just you know go under as a business because I've got a daughter now who's three, and you know I, I'm hoping by you know ten twelve years that doesn't exist. But I'm, couldn't agree. Probably, I'm with you. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i, I think I, I totally forgot what you even asked me Something about Gilmore. yeah just how, how how when you have that that guy who's been a former dpoy who's won a super bowl lockdown yeah. corner on your defense just going forward what that does for a team it's huge i mean i was just thinking of that uh last night where you know jc jackson gets paid just a ridiculous amount of money and he gets benched and this is somebody that you know we, we all thought was a premier cover corner making a ton of plays um, and he can't even get on the field now. It, it just goes to show all these corners who we kind of think are studs and you know are, are the, the the best of the very best in the league. They they tend to come and go. Um, they, they get their money and they might not be the same player. Stephon Gilmore, I mean, his consistency of excellence is numbing. I mean, he has been an elite corner his entire career. I covered him here in Buffalo. Got to know him when I was at the Buffalo News, and he is just. I mean, he, he is absolutely top five players to just kind of learn the game from in the locker room. He's, he's honest. You're not going to get any BS. He's going he's gonna to give it to you straight on, you know, the receivers and the corners he respects, maybe the receivers and corners he doesn't respect, and just how he attacks the profession. I, I think that that consistency is why he is still playing the way he's playing. I don't think he's going to slow down anytime soon. And this is somebody who is using his brain at just a different level. I mean, he, he studies routes, he studies receivers, he's looking at your TikToks and your Instagrams and knowing what your next move is going to be. Um, I, that, that's the best, what, $10 million money can buy in the NFL. That is Tyler Dunn, author of the latest, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football, and also covers this game day in and day out. Find him on Twitter, at Ty Dunn, T-Y-D-U-N-N-E. Uh, a lot of fun. I can't wait to dive into this book. And, and also, we're going to have you back on because I want to hear about the stories Back in the day when you're getting this book together and you're you're running late for a meetup and you might be in the heartland of Iowa or you could be out in Baltimore somewhere and you're you know what I mean? It's off season right there. You spilled coffee in the front of your car to get there. That's the stuff that I want because I know you went around yeah. the states making this thing. How do you make a book? The how do you write right, a book? That's right. a whole nother podcast time. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> I don't know the answers. I mean, we had our son in July, and then it was about mayhem with our oh, me gosh. and my wife. Our our, our pedal was to the metal, basically all, all football. Oh season. man! So it's a it's a team effort, man. It really is. Good job well, by congrats. you. Congratulations. Yeah, That's job. great. And say thank you so much, and I really appreciate all the Colts fans out there buying blood and guts. I, I think you're absolutely going to love it. The Mackey stuff, the Clark stuff, all these tight ends, because it's not just football. It really is about life. Awesome. So I really appreciate it. Can't wait to find out more about it. Again, the blood and guts is what it is called, how tight ends save football. Ty Dunn, appreciate the time. We'll see you back soon. No, thank you. Appreciate it. You like football? Follow him at Ty Dunn. And, again, don't forget, if you like football, again, you're going to love this book, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. Let's bring us all around now. Talk about this. We're going to sit around this campfire. Time now for the Colts Twitter mailbag, Maytay. Yes, what do you sir. got? Yeah. What do you got, JJ? What's over there? This is from Brian DeWitt at BrianDeWitt86 on Twitter. This team is one missed field goal from being a 4-2 team. I feel like we are still in a good spot, but what's the difference between a 4-2 team versus a 3-2-1 team? Is it player coach's confidence, more aggressive play calling, or something else? Oh, by the way, great call, Mate. It's half a game, isn't it? Well, isn't that the difference? Yeah, it's, it's the lead. It's owning the division right now well, is right. what the difference is. Right. And also, hey, the Colts are the seventh seed in the AFC. Oh. But I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about this because Lara kind of touched on it about talking to players about how you, you really start to find your identity in Second week five quarter. or six. Second quarter of the season. And, yeah, about. exactly. And – Think about where the Colts have been in years past. Last year at this point, they were 2-4. and four. In 2018, they were 1-5. In, five. in uh, 2020, they they were uh, – I'm just going to pull it up real quick. In 2020 through week 6 – 1-5. In 2020? Oh, 2020, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, I misheard you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, you're yeah, going, you're going to 19. Right, you're going to 19. In in 2020, the Colts were uh, four and two through this point, so right around the same part. But you really you find out who you are in the first five six weeks of the season, and then you lean into that starting in about week six seven eight, going going into the rest of the year. I think the Colts have some things they can lean into. They can lean into their their front seven and how they're they're starting to play, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting the four sacks against Trevor Lawrence. You can lean into some of the shotgun plays, whether it's with the pass or the run on offense, but you can just lean into this mentality of like, hey, we got this. We've got veteran guys. We've got Matt Ryan. We've got Stephon Gilmore, who have won games for you quite literally on both sides of the ball. You've got Frank Reich and that steady hand that so many players keep talking about after these games, whether it's a win or a loss. This team is in a good position to now that they've started to figure out some things about their identity to lean into it at 3-2-1. and one. You are not buried at this point in the season. I think one thing yeah. for me is yeah. Matt, Matt pointed it out on the radio broadcast. Now uh, through six games, you've led how, how many minutes, five minutes of the entire season maybe? or I don't know. Like over was, 90% of Matt like, Ryan's passes in the second half have been with the Colts losing. So I also, <laughs> wow. I also think that yeah. these have been – ugly, gritty, grinded out type of wins in the majority of these situations that you have, you know, had to play from behind. I like where you are. I like what you're building on, but now it's time to actually like go up, score early, score on an opening drive, uh, you know, build a two score lead, Mm -hmm. have an opportunity for your offense to not have to play from behind and for your defense to be able to get after some people when you're forcing people to play on their heels a bit. Yeah. What would it be like to not be down by 11 Mm -hmm. points or 17 points to your point, Larry? I mean, the Colts, they've received the opening possession of every game so far this year, and they haven't scored points on their opening drive of a game. What I like is the defense is coming along with the pressure. You know, the J.J. mentioned the nine tackles for loss. This team has 11. Tyquan Lewis. Tyquan Lewis, dude, oh plays very, very hard, very He's well. He's coming along. Out there. The Colts have 11 sacks in the last three games, nice. and they're spreading that out between guys like Buckner and Lewis and Ngakwe. And that's no Quiddy Pay. Pay loves two games, yeah. too. A Fadi Adenabo up there? I mean, everybody. Yeah, that's right. He got one last Sunday as well. One. He got one. That one he had. Oh, my goodness, did he roast Cam Robinson on that yeah. play. Wow. Go back and watch it. I mean, he's got he's got Cam Robinson in a blender on that. It was incredible. I love it. Uh, so that that's what's giving me confidence is, is the defense is starting to put it all together and, and playing better than just, uh, just the fourth quarter or the second half. They're starting to infiltrate their will, if you will, in, in the second quarter as well. Well, you guys so. hit on it earlier. When you're fine-tuning an offense like this Ferrari, like all NFL offenses are across the And you the show league. you can win different yeah, ways. But I'm saying that, and you're starting to fine-tune this. And you got a guy with 15 more years under his belt and Matt Ryan. I yeah. like that. I like the, that, 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 that. The way that this thing's building up, that this team starts to hit all strides after week six, after week seven, after week nine, yep. keep getting stronger. The, the last thing on this, I just feel like when the Colts took over possession, their defense gives up that, you know, 18-play scoring drive for Jacksonville to take the lead. They take over with about two and a half minutes to go, and I'm just like, yeah, Colts are going to win this game mm-hmm. because we've seen Matt Ryan do it time and time again now, and there's there's no loss of confidence that, like, uh-oh, here we go, I got to go down. It's like, yeah. no, like, we got to go down, Matt Ryan's going to go do it. You You feel that. All right, guys, good stuff, good question. Colts Twitter mailbag. JJ, you're running that thing for us, and I love the things you put out online to talk about it and, you know, get a big feedback on it. So follow JJ at JJ Stankovitz, at Lara Overton, at Maytay Colts. I'm at Hey Gorman. If you got any questions about uh, hey this Gorman. team, you can find out. We will answer them. Maytay, you got a random thought of the week for it's us? It's very random Let because I was watching TV the other day, okay. and, you know, I saw a promo for Chucky 7 or Halloween 25 uh, with Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah, Halloween ends. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, Halloween ends. So I want to know. Does it really, though, Lara? <laughs> Until three years from now. Well, no. Does it really? Is, no. is she back? Somehow she survived, Somehow. and Jason's back, and he's healthier than a horse. I mean, how does that happen? <laughs> how did, he is Jason. No, he's Michael Myers. And Michael right? Myers. Yeah, 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 Jason's the uh, Elm Street. Friday 13th. Right? Friday the 13th. No, Nightmare on Elm Street. I can't oh, watch I scary movies, yeah. so I'm completely Me neither. on this. But, I can't do it. But what I was getting at, though, is. Jeffrey, this is a good question yeah. for you because you've been in the film industry. Okay. I want to know, are, are, really, are, chi- yeah. I mean, are child actors in adult movies, like R-rated movies, 
Was are, Dark Waters? I was wondering. Up? Wait, I, and when I read this, I was like, do you, "Are you saying adult films? What are no, we what saying? Are you talking what are talking about here? <laughs> adult, like, what are you watching? Rated R. What's the oh, rating? Rated R. Oh, like okay. rated R. Even Get PG, your head out of the gutter, Overton. No, but even PGR in that rate is that what you're saying? Even PGR. If you got a six-year-old child actor, are they going to six-year-old? PG thirteen. Yeah, PG that's 13. right. PG thirteen to R. PG thirteen and up. Let's say. Okay. Are child actors in those movies? Are they allowed to watch the film? What's the age of the child? Uh, seven. Zero chance. No. I mean, especially if there's skin in there, they show a little coming out the shower <laughs> well, do you just, scene. Okay, hold on. Or How about mom this? or dad drops a filth or foul, well, you know. Yeah. Do you just <laughs> let them watch the scenes that they are in? Because isn't it important when you are honing in yeah, on your craft? Right. Yeah, you're right. You need to be able to, to watch yourself and, and assess. So at least they should be able to watch the scene they're in because if they're participating in it, there shouldn't be anything that would be that inappropriate right, for them right. to be unless it's a Tarantino film. Yeah. So did you ever work with a child actor? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I worked on stage more than I mean in live theater than I have on when I did you know back in the day even TV commercials. Oh, I worked with a kid in a veterinarian commercial. That was fun, and you're just fun because they're all just like you. They're like, oh, this is great and everything. And they're yeah. in that world. Look at but, us. Yeah, that's the type <laughs> of thing. Look at you. You're great, and you know they're not jaded by Hollywood no. yet. You know. By the way, Dee Dee Khan. Was Frenchy in Greece? Dee Dee Khan. Yes, yes, yes. Good pull. There, I don't think there are any child actors in Greece, though. Uh, hey, listen, you better they, shape they, up. They all played right? children, seventeen-year-olds, and high teenagers. Are. Yeah, like Travolta had to be about thirty-five playing Danny Zuko. <laughs> by the way, like you go back and you watch that. Like you can't tell me Rizzo was seventeen. Have you guys ever that. seen the Netflix show Never Have I Ever? No, no, never it, have I ever. No, it's a good. It's there you go. It's like a good twenty-five minute brainless easy watch, right? Just kind of wind down for the night. Anyway, the point I'm making is it's set in high school, but the main guy character in the show is literally thirty-two years old, playing a seventeen-year-old. Really, he's thirty-two years old. And they're not in trying real to life. disguise it at all. It's saying no, they are. They are. They're, oh, he, and he pulls it. off a seventeen-year-old very well. But he's thirty-two years old. I sometimes go back and I watch Saved by the Bell and I look at Mario Lopez as AC Slater and I was like, how are we buying that this guy was supposed to be getting his driver's license right now? And also, he looks the same now. Mm -hmm. It is wild. Like Whatever he's frozen in at night that keeps him preserved that way, you know? It's like like, Paul Rudd. (laughs) Yes! Paul Rudd never ages. It's true. In fact, he looks younger now. He might get better with age. Paul Rudd definitely does. JJ, you got something that we should know about a TV show that you uh, were fond of back in the day or are fond of? But you don't tell many people about it. <laughs> um, Come on, what is it? A DIY show? You like cooking channels? So or I mean, something? like Cur- our Cur- between my wife and I, our Switzerland when it comes to watching TV is the it's either Food Network. We a big Guy Fieri guy. Really? And... You look like Guy a little bit. No, I don't. <laughs> what are you talking about? Can we get the man a flame you know, shirt? I, you know who you remind me of. <laughs> I said that because it's the biggest contrast of your hair, you know, and him. And, oh, I, God. Not even close. You're right. You don't yeah, look like Guy. But I do you. like him. He's a fun guy. He's, he's great. And and uh, his <laughs> cooking shows and his cooking competitions are great on Food Network. Also, HGTV. Love watching, you know, whatever, you know, like House Hunters where hey, it's Good like, Bones, my girl. Yeah, Mia Good Bones right here. Hawk. Are you like Tucker? When She's you watch a, it with Mina, Tucker. By the way, shout out to the Hawks who are Colt season ticket holders. They are. Mina, uh, Steven. If you're watching HGTV, TV, do you I yell at your husband, Tucker? Her. I don't really watch HGTV. No, or, no, 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 no. Like, honey, why don't we do this? Look no, at how easy it oh was. Oh, my God. No, he's more likely to watch HGTV than I am. You know, I'm very one-track minded. I'm very predictable. Like, it, it, you know, if the TV, if if you turn the TV on, it's, it's immediate who was watching it prior to like it was either on nfl network or espn or like good morning america that's what i've been watching uh, like anything else it's tucker yeah hey, that's me we're we're getting out of here but i got a random thought of the week for you very quick because we're getting out okay when do you stop mowing your lawn this week yeah not into november no this week you gotta pick probably... up leaves coach i mean what are we doing oh here? well leaves is a different story okay hold on now one, one have thing you seen I'm my house about... okay you got I, got, I got leaves till yeah. january yeah. Yeah. at what age does young hayden taylor have to start mowing the lawn oh Ooh, great question oh i started mowing grass when i was about 11 uh, i was gonna say 10 i figured it would be about the appropriate yeah. age yeah middle school uh, have I you mowed... got your kids pushing a mower right now? They have little toy mowers that they push around the lawn, yeah. And then they yell at me when I don't mow the lawn. <laughs> but here's the and problem. It's like, it's like too big for, the, like, the grass is too tall for them. And they're like, Daddy, mow the lawn. I'm like, okay. Doing yeah. it here, The kid. problem is I don't want to give up mowing the lawn. I like mowing the you lawn. You do, huh? You guys know I like yard Tucker work. Tucker tried to teach I'm weird me to mow the way. lawn. I, I'd never mowed the lawn before until about five Riding years ago. Riding or pushing? So, oh, pushing. Yeah. And so he was showing me how to do it because I never did it. 
And so I start going, and I'm like going up and back. Like he goes, "You're not vacuuming. You're going. You go one." And so then he's like, "You're never doing oh, this again." We have a again. dead spot here. And I'm like, "Ah, oh, mission accomplished." That's the best way. Yeah, that's the best way. Somebody nobody, wants you to try something. Just butcher it, and I'll never ask you again. Nobody can mow my lawn as good as me. Uh, not true. I'll, no, I'll grab the no. Colts. I'll grab the Colts grass guy, no. Troy Glendenny, <laughs> to go over there and manicure that. Over that there? he could, yeah, Daryl over there, and they could eat off your lawn, mate. Now, you love doing it, but you leave it to the professionals if you they want to They probably have better sharp. equipment. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Troy Glendenning doesn't mow his own, own, own lawn. He That's told me true. that one time. That he does true. it. He does. His somebody told... else does it yeah. for him. <laughs> <laughs> he hires <laughs> someone to mow his grass. Hey, you know what? You made it when you do that. That's All right, right, guys. This is fun. The Colts Fisher Podcast presented by our friends at WinBet. A couple of quick reminders. we got the roundtable live. Frank Reich recapping the game against the Jags and getting the thoughts on former Rick Venturi and Joe Wright's on a big win. Daily updates Tuesday through Thursday. You know it on 93.5. And 107.5. Inside football with the coach Rick Venturi. Know your foe. Interview with Joe Rexrod. He covers the Titans. Casey Rex Valier Road. Be Rex on Road. That. Rex Road. Rex Road. I'm sorry, Lyle. Sorry, JoJo. We'll see you in person <laughs> and apologize. She's <laughs> Friday Colts happy hour. JMV. Casey and JoJo. Hill Rex Joe Road. JMV can butcher another hour on Colts coverage on 93.5 <laughs> and 107.5. And Sunday night, it's a good one. Gaining steam. Instant reaction. Colts podcast with JJ Stankovitz and Bill Brooks. Hello. You got anything before we say goodbye? Fantastic interview this week on Colts 360 with Jelani Woods. And if you haven't seen it yet, go back to the director's cut from last week with Stephon Gilmore where he breaks down that game-clinching play in JJ, Denver. make me smarter. I, uh, I wrote a little <laughs> bit about Zaire Franklin last week Love and it. just how he's kind of come along. But I want to dig into this this week. I want to talk. I want to do a story. I want to see if I can do it this week. Let's do it. About Tony Brown and Grant Stewart, the two banshees on Colts special teams who have consistently made plays for Bubba Ventrone's Kickoff coverage Tony units. Tony Brown, track guy. Track guy, track Tony guy. Brown. So he's your those guy. Two, he's those, two guy. guy. <laughs> those two guys have been two of my favorite players to watch Love all season. It. That Love is it. your That's your deep well cut Well done. Right there. I like that. The deep cut, you're going to find out. We're, they're not on, uh, rolling off our tongue, these kids' names, with these young players' names, but they're so important They're like two that. of the most energetic players on the field at Let's all times. Let's do it. Maytay, other than looking forward to cutting your lawn, what do you got? Anything? Uh, just getting ready for a monster game with Jackson. Or, excuse me, for Tennessee. Easy for me to say. Jeez, Jeez where's the schedule here? Maytay might go visit the old Country Music Hall of Fame, right, while we're in Nashville? Yeah, there is an exhibit down there yeah. uh, Jeffrey have you been, been to the there? country okay I want to go check it it's out amazing. I've never been there but there, there's long a, lines old brother yeah Get there's there there's an exhibit for like the Eagles and Poco and Linda Ronstead and the yeah. Flying Burrito Brothers their contributions for like musical instruments yeah. I mean they're what they wore on stage everything like that go have fun down there don't get arrested because it is Nashville but we're going to come back with any arresting news next week oh. after the Colts take care of the Titans down there Colts official podcast again presented by our friends at Widbet for Matt Taylor Lara Overton and JJ Stankovitz, I'm Jeffrey Gorman. We'll talk to you next week. As usual, let's go down there and take care of business. Go Colts.